Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, a new year means tasty new trends for us foodies. Earlier in the show, we chewed over one of the top trends, plant-based manufactured food, which are set to be everywhere in 2022. We're looking at you, vegan lobster rolls. And can you taste climate change? Warmer temps are altering what ends up in your wine glass. But it's cold New England winters that are perfect for some warm local offerings, Haitian hot chocolate in Boston and ooey-gooey cheese melting in Maine. Plus, you won't have to leave the warmth of your home for too long if takeout wine and cocktails are here to stay. Our food and wine experts are here with what's happening now. Joining me... Jonathan Alsop, founder and executive director of the Boston Wine School and author of The Wine Lover's Devotional. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Callie. Amy Traverso, senior food editor at Yankee Magazine, co-host of GBH's Weekends with Yankee and author of The Apple Lover's Cookbook. Welcome, Amy. Hi, Callie. Well, I'm going to jump right in, uh, starting with the plant-based trend that earlier in the show we were also discussing because the trend is it's just going to be everywhere, that it's vegan, vegetarianism, sometime-ism, whatever it is, but plant-based is the word. And I'm particularly interested in these new plant-based pastas. There's one called Zeneb, Z-E-N-B, and also a chickpea pasta. What do you think, Amy? You know, I've used them because um, I have several family members, actually, who have uh, gluten sensitivity. So these gluten-free pastas are actually, I have to say, they are a nice alternative. I came to them a little bit suspicious. <laughs> um, most of them are made with uh, pulses like lentils or chickpeas, and they don't age well. They're not the kind of pastas you can make, and if there's some left over, you can reheat it the next day. Mm. But, you know, when they're fresh out of the pot, they're really they're really a very solid alternative. And I say that as someone who, you know, just made an apple crisp for a family member who's gluten free and was grumbling about how much worse it was than, <laughs> than real apple crisp made with um, with flour. So I, I'm not, not an easy mark, but these are really pretty good. Okay. Now, vegan lobster rolls, that sounds like a whole other experiment. <laughs> so, yeah. So I I was interested in this because we know that New England is warming very quickly. It's one of the fastest warming areas of the world, sadly. Um, and so, you know, the, the lobsters are moving north and there's a lot of worries about the future of the lobster industry here. Um, I came across a vegan lobster roll that's right now on the menu at a, at, it's a Caribbean vegan soul food restaurant in New York called um, Aunt's A Uncle's. So it's E-T like French for and, Aunt's A Uncle's. Um, and they do a quote unquote lobster roll <laughs> made with hearts of palm to replace the lobster and vegan mayo uh, to replace place the regular mayo. I, I would never argue that hearts of palm would um, convince you that you're eating lobster. Um, I think, you know, for vegans, it's a way to just do a vegetable salad that, you know, has a little bit of fun and sexiness to it. Mm. Um, 
however, you know, looking ahead at the future of, of lobster, if we find that our lobster supplies are starting to dwindle, uh, one fish that's pretty abundant in our waters is monkfish, and it's often called poor man's lobster. It has a meatier texture. But, you know, we still have lots of lobster now. I've also seen oyster mushrooms used as substitutes for lobster meat because they have that, you know, chewiness. But, you know, Lobster is lobster, and let's let's do what we can to keep the lobsters <laughs> in in Maine. <laughs> okay. There's a great Vietnamese restaurant in Alston called Grasshopper, mm-hmm. and they do a a vegetarian, vegan, you know, in quotes, lobster um, that is amazingly good. And what's it made of? Mushrooms. I, you know, mushroom. You know, again, it looks like as you say, slivered you know, different different kinds of slivered vegetables. And it's very, very gingery and very fragrant. Mm. And, um, you know, you wouldn't mistake it for lobster in a blind tasting, but very, very Tasty. good alternative. Okay. Yeah, very. Well, in the wine world, one of the trends you want to leave in 2021, Jonathan, you said, is this whole conversation about natural wines, which would seem to be a part of a plant-based, let's get back to the fundamentals kind of movement. But natural wines, you say, are bogus. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so the wine world is full of these incomprehensible, totally undefined terms that make it impossible for normal people to understand what's going on. And this term, natural wine, is another one of those. Um, It's completely, completely undefined. If you make wine which you consider to be natural, you may call it natural. If you make wine and you stick a tail on it and call it a weasel, you may call it a weasel. <laughs> okay. it, it, it's, it's, it's more of this incomprehensible verbiage that creates so much emotional and intellectual distance between people and the wines that they love. Um, the term natural wine implies maybe it's organic, maybe there's no added sulfites, maybe it's unfiltered, maybe this, maybe that. It implies a thousand different things. Um, but sadly, it's completely undefined. And this is, and this is, this is one of my resolutions for 2022. No more completely undefined terms in the world of wine. Okay, well, one that we should embrace and you believe we'll be embracing more of because it really is specific is sustainability in this year. So tell me about what that means for the wine lover. Well, so in fact, uh, one of the things that uh, surveys and polls and studies um, show us is that three quarters of wine lovers say that they are trying to live an environmentally friendly lifestyle. And this means that environmentally friendly wines have got to be part of that lifestyle. And that's got to be part of the appeal when selling and marketing to wine lovers. Um, Sustainability sounds like another one of those soft, undefined terms, but um, there are sustainability certifications all over the USA and all over the world that are Um, that are performed and verified by independent third parties. Um, In a nutshell, sustainability just means sound 
agricultural practices that are good and beneficial for the environment, management techniques that promote social responsibility, and just that the whole thing works as a business model and creates delicious wine. I think sustainability as a term is probably, I I believe it's going to overtake organic, biodynamic, made with organically grown grapes, those sorts of those sorts of broad um, terms um, to encompass all of this. Okay. And finally, in this sort of same arena, uh, climate change. We've talked about this often about what's happening with with wine and climate change. But mm-hmm. what's really interesting is that you mentioned that Bordeaux now is going to be changed a lot because of the climate change. Yeah, it's 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 not something that people outside the industry really want to think about or really have a have a keen awareness of. But in in two things to know in physical terms. One is that for the first time in our recorded history, at least, the Sahara Desert has jumped the Mediterranean. And the Sahara Desert is now also not just in Northern Africa, it's also in Southern Portugal, it's also in Southern Spain, and it's real. The second thing is that Bordeaux, one of the most traditional hidebound, resistant to change wine regions on the planet in the last year or two has approved seven new Bordeaux grapes, seven new official Bordeaux grapes. Today there are five. They've added seven more and they are all hot climate grapes, specifically grapes that are specifically happy with a lot of sun, a lot of heat, very little, very little rain. Um, very different than Bordeaux today, but um, what Bordeaux will be in the future. Mm. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me is Jonathan Alsop of the Boston Wine School and Amy Traverso of Yankee Magazine and GBH's Weekends with Yankee. And we're dishing on 2022's new food and wine trends. So going from the hot, new, literally, Bordeaux varieties to cold New England winters, Amy, Um, and a tradition that has been going on in Maine for a long time and is happening again, and you point out, is (laughs) COVID-friendly. Discuss. Yes. So, um, you know, I am desperate to get get out of my house. Um, and, yeah. and yet I also, you know, I'm, I'm not, I haven't become a, fa- a COVID fatalist yet. I'm not just willing to go out and catch it and get it over with. Um, there is a wonderful series at a place called Topsail Farm, which is in Midcoast, Maine. This is a a, a sort of rustic uh, vacation destination. There, are, it's, a, it's a farm. There are gorgeous, modern, you know, cab, rustic cabins that you can rent and stay. And they also put on events all through the year. In the winter, they do a series called raclette dinners, basically. And raclette is a um, Alpine tradition, mostly from Switzerland, also France. Um, of, and it's a melted cheese meal uh, with lots of accompaniments, cured meats, pickles, potatoes, um, 
uh, fermented things, you know, and you kind of gather around and you melt. This cheese is very melty, melt, melting friendly. It's, it's, it just has this wonderful texture. And you buy a raclette grill, um, which comes in different forms, uh, which uh, does a great job of melting this cheese. You can scrape it off and then eat it with all these wonderful garnishes. Um, so Topsail Farm uh, is doing these every weekend uh, through the winter and the nice thing about it is it's it's mostly outdoors there is a porch where you can be seated if you're a little more um delicate with the cold <laughs> weather but it, you know you certainly do need to bundle up but there's also fire pits and lanterns and it, it's uh if you you can go to topsailfarm.com to look this up um it comes you the meal comes with beverages with uh dessert and and starters and fresh oysters and you know it's just a great way i'm looking for ways to embrace winter I will wear ski pants when I go and I'll wear gloves. But, you know, it, what a lovely way to just get out of the house and yet feel pretty safe doing it. You know what it sounds like to me? Very Heidi and grandfather. Exactly. And I'm kind of, you know, I feel like there are people in other northern climates who have figured out how to enjoy life in the winter. And I think we could take some lessons from them. Exactly. All right. Well, boy, you got me intrigued with Haitian hot chocolate. Tell uh, me. It's so good. I came across this product at a holiday market recently, and um, the company's called This Haiti. The owner is a woman named Blonde Beauchamp, um, and uh, Haitian hot chocolate, You may, if you've had Mexican hot chocolate, mm. you might have the general idea, which is it's chocolate mixed with spices. Um, in this case, the spices, there's uh, cinnamon, anise, vanilla, chili peppers it's it's layers of wonder and, and a little bit of salt to set it off but it's very much a sweet creamy chocolatey beverage um it's so good uh i it comes in a little jar it's sort of a chocolate paste and you mix it in with you know milk this haiti also does spice blends and relishes and other delicious things but i particularly love this hot chocolate oh wow and that you just order it online or no, you can order it online, mm -hmm. and then um, they also do pop-ups at various craft markets, which you can find out uh, on their website, which is thishaiti.com. And since we're speaking about plant baits, it's vegan-friendly, they point out. It is vegan-friendly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, they want everybody to know that. <laughs> well, uh, let's because you brought it up uh, as a part of the, of the winter raclette, um, advantage to be outside in the wintertime. One of the reasons that we're thinking about all these things, of course, is that, you know, here we are entering in what appears to be the third year of coping with COVID and restaurants have been particularly hit. Changes in Boston because now there is a mandate by Boston Mayor Michelle Wu that uh, proof of vaccination is required. Um, there, It's a staggered thing. So you have to have proof of vaccination of at least one shot by uh, January fifth. Uh, and then in February, I think it's a month later, February 15th, you know, you have to have all the shots. Um, but nonetheless, some restaurants have just decided we're just packing up because we just can't deal with it. Um, I noted that the Lexington, which is a place I've gone, um, it has kind of a rooftop bar and another place, really interesting place in Cambridge, decided they were just going to close up. Some others are preparing to shift to the new thing, but it's still a little dicey. And I wanted both of you all to weigh in on what you've been hearing from both uh, your food people, Amy and Jonathan, from your wine people. So I'll start with you, Jonathan. I mean, from the wine perspective, um, you know, the salespeople and the sales reps and the distributors and importers that I know, I mean, the, the retail channel, of course, is huge. 
but the restaurant channel is just such an important, important market for them. And um, a, a few good things have happened. I apologize. I apologize for the for the vulgarity of finding you know a silver lining in COVID. But you know a lot of the rules have changed. Restaurants are restaurants are now now selling wine retail. Restaurants are now um, cocktails to go. This is I mean this is fantastic. This is just building the audience and building the market and just this is this is nothing but goodness for everybody. Um, but a lot of restaurateurs and a lot of people who have been in the wine business and the food business for a long, long time, they are packing it in. They have reached, they have reached their limit. And sometimes it's an emotional limit. Sometimes it's a financial limit. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, my wife and I will have people over for dinner or we, we used to have people over for dinner all the time. And, you know, whenever whenever we'd cook something extremely delicious, someone someone would always say, "Oh, you should open your own restaurant." Hmm. And you know, that's just and my reaction is always, "What did I ever do to you <laughs> yeah. that you would that you would wish that upon me?" That's hmm. like a curse. Um, it's so much work. The margins are so slim, and I think you know a lot of people are just just. They're just not going to die behind the grill. There's there's more there's more to life than 26 hour days. And for you, Amy, what are you hearing? Yeah, I mean it's it's a real range. There's there's the examples like Will Gilson of the Lexington saying, you know, at least for the next several weeks, we're going to pivot to a delivery business. Um, this is not what we want, but this is what we have to do for our sanity and our health. Um, you know, it, Boston lost a great restaurant uh, over the past few months with Craigie on Main. You know, mm. Tony Maz was working so hard to get relief packages uh, to independent restaurants. Um, and, you know, he's taking time to figure out what's next. Um, mm. You know, I hope he'll be back cooking again. His food is, is too good to miss. But um, you know, understandably, he's he's taking a pause. Um, restaurants like Fox and the Knife, uh, Karen Akunowitz's restaurant, you know, they had some positive uh, cases among their staff and closed through today. Um, and I'm sure they're evaluating, you know, uh, what's next. But as of today, they are opening and requiring proof of full vaccination for dining. And then restaurants like Orfano, Grill 23, that you wouldn't normally think of as as being delivery oriented at all, or even doing you know much of any delivery, are definitely encouraging their customers. But I have to say, I went for a walk on New Year's Eve just to see what was happening, and I saw packed restaurants. So, wow. yeah, and I'm not saying all of them, and I'm certainly not saying any of this is easy. But I think there is a, a, a population of people who are very, very happy to be going out to eat. Maybe they've had Omicron or recently had COVID and they, you know, they figure I'll never be more, uh, more immune than now. Um, uh, certain, like Contessa, which is one of the hottest restaurants in Boston right now, you know, overlooking the public garden. Yes. But, uh, but up until this mandate, they did not require proof of vaccination, which is why right. I've never been in there, but go ahead. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, they have 
fully booked prime tables tonight. Um, you know, the, you can get a table at five o'clock or nine o'clock, but or nine forty-five. But you're not going to get anything in between. The Saturday's already sold out. Um, so I was, I'm, I'm, int I'm intrigued to see that there is definitely a very eager population of diners still filling up these restaurants. Um, I'm, I'm glad that the vaccination mandate, per, you know, is is going through. I think. Um, we know that you know restaurants are tricky spaces um, for transmission, and, and this is good for certainly the staff and public health. Um, so you know, I hope it seems like just that alone is giving restaurateurs some hope that they'll be able to stay open through the winter. Mm -hmm. um, and meanwhile, Jonathan, if you're going to be inside, you know, just toasting yourself, boy, do you have a great value tip? This seven dollar wine at Trader Joe's, do tell. You know, Callie. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't, I don't give a lot of promotion or a lot of air to Trader Joe's. You know, they don't need it. But this is January. And T.S. Eliot said, April is the cruelest month. No, January. <laughs> I agree. When the, bills, I agree. <laughs> when the bills start coming in and reality <laughs> starts to hit. So um, at Trader Joe's, 2017, and I'll, and I'll send a, a snapshot so we can put it up on the website. 2017 Fior di Vino, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, literally means a wine flower. Fior di Vino Chianti Classico Reserva. $6.99 Trader Joe's. This is my bargain wine of the month. I'm not sure. Um, for people who know Chianti and know Chianti Classico and all these different dif different uh, designations. You know, Chianti Classico starts at $17 a bottle. Mm -hmm. Chianti Classico Reserva, it spends more time in oak, it spends more time aging. You know, it starts at $25 a bottle. I'm not sure, I'm not sure what laws of physics <laughs> were broken to create a $6.99 um, Chianti Classico Reserva, but it's 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 great. In the in the world in the world of seven dollar Chiantis, this is a one hundred point wine. In the past, as I've Jonathan tried to describe the difference between regular Chianti and uh, Chianti Classico Reserva to my friends, I said, "This is not the one with the straw on the bottom." <laughs> There's no candle wax floating on the top. No. <laughs> yeah, well, they actually they actually translate they actually translate that into Italian. It's on the label, you know. Not, that's, the, that's, that's the category. <laughs> <laughs> wicker, wicker free and loving it. <laughs> all right. Now, it might make an unusual uh, pairing, but um, you're all into these new um, sweets, mochi donuts? Do mochi tell. nuts. Mo mochis. Okay, <laughs> tell us. Yeah. Uh, this, is a, this is truly a full circle story on two levels. First of all, mochi donuts are little round donuts. Um, uh, they often have a shape they look like a bunch of little macarons kind of uh, connected together in a, in a ring. So in a wreath style. And so this is the cool thing. The, the most famous popularizer of mochi donuts is a chain called Mr. Donut in <laughs> Japan. Now, Mr. Donut actually began in Massachusetts um, and wow. has a family connection to Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts acquired Mr. Donut in 1990 and absorbed all these chains, but it was an international uh, company. And so the, the J Japanese chains of Mr. Donut remained and went on to popularize mochi donuts. Um, and so then mochi donuts came back to the U.S. or came into the U.S. via Hawaii, where they caught on. 
um, and then they came to the West Coast and now they're here. Now they're made with um, um, either uh, sticky rice flour, sometimes they're made with, um, which is very glutinous. Uh, they can be made with tapioca flour. They have, they are fried and crispy like a donut, but they have a chewier texture inside. And you can find them in several places in Boston now. Um, there's a, a bakery called Coco Leaf in Dorchester and on Newbury Street that's been serving them for years, uh, since tw 2017. There's Mochi Nut in Alston, which is a chain and does really beautiful mochi donuts. Ponda Joy is a new place in the Super 88 market in Alston. And there's a place even out in Worcester called Glazy Susan that's doing these <laughs> mochi donuts. And they're just fun. They come in the usual flavors, but they'll also come in flavors like ube and taro and matcha. Um, and it's, look, we all need little bits of joy in our lives right now. And mochi <laughs> donuts are, are helping. Hey, there is no judgment if you are knocking back your mochi donut with your Chianti Classico. I got nothing or to say. Or your Haitian hot cocoa. Or yeah. your Haitian. Hey, no, that's a better match. Your it's Haitian... a really good pairing. <laughs> it's hey, hey, I have, ladies, I have to go because I have to go get some of that Haitian hot chocolate like right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's always a good time talking to both of you. And uh, so mm. I thank you both for bringing us up to date in the new year with uh, what's happening in food and wine. And we will have you behind the mic again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> Thank you. Happy New Year to everyone. Yes, exactly. Jonathan Alsop is the founder and executive director of the Boston Wine School and author of the Wine Lover's Devotional. Amy Traverso is the senior food editor at Yankee Magazine, co-host of GBH's Weekends with Yankee, and author of The Apple Lover's Cookbook. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubley and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.